Parable of the Sower Jesus had spent the entire night in prayer, and he came down to the beach in the early morning to look for his disciples who were fishing near the shore. He could not long remain undisturbed by the people. As soon as it was known that Christ was by the seaside, the multitude flocked to him. Their numbers increased so that he was pressed upon all sides. As he stood teaching them, the crowd became so dense that he stepped into a boat, and pulling out a little from the shore, gave the people a better opportunity to see and hear him as he continued his discourse. He frequently adopted this plan to escape from the eager throng that crowded upon each other to get into his presence. In this way, he could speak the things that he desired them to hear without interruption. The Savior, seated in the rude boat of a fisherman, taught the words of life to the listening people upon the beach. He was patient with those who were laboring under temptation, tender and kind to the sorrowing and disheartened. His words found a response in many hearts, and light from his divine instruction poured in upon many darkened minds. What a scene was this for angels to contemplate, their glorious commander sitting in a fisherman's boat, swayed to and fro by the restless water, and preaching salvation to the listening crowd that are pressing down to the water's edge. He who was the honored of heaven teaches his grand doctrine of deliverance in the open air to the common crowd. Yet he could have no more magnificent scene for his labors. The lake, the mountains, the spreading fields, the sunlight flooding the earth, all furnish subjects by which his lessons can be impressed upon the human mind. In plain sight are the sowers and the reapers, side by side, the one casting the seed and the other harvesting the early grain. The fruitful valleys and the hillsides are clothed in beauty, the barren rocks are seen upon the beach, and the birds make the air vocal with their music. The sea fowls skim upon the surface of the water. Jesus takes this opportunity to draw lessons from nature that will sink into the minds of his listeners. He employs the scenery about him to illustrate his doctrine so that in the future, whenever these objects are presented to their eyes, their thoughts will revert to the lessons of truth drawn from them by Jesus. They will be daily reminders of the precious instruction which they had received from him. Sitting thus and looking upon the animated scene before him, Jesus uttered the parable that has been handed down to us through the ages as pure and beautiful today in its unadorned simplicity as when it was given that morning on the Sea of Galilee more than 1800 years ago. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, 
it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This striking illustration of the spreading abroad of the gospel of the Son of God engaged the earnest attention of the people. The speaker carried with him the minds of his hearers. Their souls were stirred, and many a heart throbbed with the animation of a new purpose. They were charmed with a doctrine so ennobling in its principles, yet so easily understood. The high spiritual attainments which Jesus taught seemed then very desirable. But how soon the impressions there received were to pass away from many minds, when they again mingled with the world. The sins that had seemed so heinous under the holy light of the Master's presence would be clasped again to their erring hearts. Unfavorable surroundings and worldly cares and temptations would cause them to relapse again into indifference. But others who listened commenced from that moment a holier life, carrying out daily the principles of Christ's teachings. The subject matter of his discourse, illustrated by the scene before them, would never be effaced from their minds. The varied ground, some producing only thistles and nauseous weeds, the ledges of rock covered with a surface of earth, the sores with their seed, all being before their eyes, fastened his words in their minds as nothing else could have done. The existing state of things led Jesus to give the parable of the sore. The people who followed Christ had been disappointed that he did not set up a new kingdom. Long had they looked for a Messiah who would exalt and glorify them as a nation. And now that their expectations were not realized, they refused to receive him as their redeemer. Even his chosen disciples were becoming impatient that he did not assume temporal authority, and his relatives were disappointed in him and rejected him. They had addressed him in these words, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. His followers were mortified that the learned and wealthy were not the most willing to accept Jesus as their Savior. They felt the stigma that attached to their master because it was the poor, the afflicted, and the humbler class generally who became his disciples. Why, they asked themselves, did not the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers in the schools of the prophets, acknowledge that he was the long-looked-for Messiah? It was to meet this doubt and discontent that Jesus spoke his parable. When the multitude had departed, 
the twelve with the other believers gathered about him, and asked him to explain it to them. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see, and not perceive, and hearing they may hear, and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? In these words he explained that his illustrations were to awaken thought in the minds of his hearers. If they desired a fuller explanation of his words, they could ask it of him, as the disciples had done, and receive it. The Pharisees understood the parable, but affected not to perceive its meaning. They closed their eyes lest they should see, and their ears lest they should hear. Therefore their hearts could not be reached. They were to suffer retribution for their willful ignorance and self-imposed blindness. One reason why he taught so much in parables was that the spies of the Jews were ever watching to find cause for complaint against him. Jesus designed to expose their hypocrisy and evil deeds without laying himself liable to the danger of being arrested and imprisoned by them, and thus cut off from the work which he came to do among the people. He could speak cutting truths in parables, reveal the iniquity that it was necessary to expose, without any fear of their laws. They could make the application for they could not fail to recognize his meaning. Yet they were powerless to condemn him for using a simple illustration in his discourse. The words of Jesus implied a reproof to his disciples because of their dullness to comprehend his meaning. For in the parable of the sower, he had illustrated the doctrine he had come to the world to teach. If they could not discern things so easily to be understood, how could they fathom greater truths that he would declare to them in parables? He also said that he would reveal greater mysteries concerning the kingdom of God unto them who followed him so closely and obeyed him than unto those who were outside of his companionship. They must open their minds to instruction and be ready to believe. Those who had hardened their hearts to love pomp and ceremony, did not wish to understand his teachings, nor desire the work of God's grace within their hearts. This class would remain in ignorance of their own choosing. Those who connected with heaven and received Christ, who is the source of light and truth, would understand his words and gain practical knowledge concerning the kingdom of God. But those who for any reason, neglected their present opportunities of acquaintance with the truth, and did not rightly use their powers of comprehension, but refused to be convinced by what their eyes saw and their ears heard, would be left in darkness, seeing they would not perceive, and hearing 
they would not understand. The truths of God involve too much self-denial and personal purity to attract their carnal minds, and they close their hearts with bigotry and unbelief. The great teacher blessed his disciples because they both saw and heard with eyes and ears that believed. Said he, Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see these things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear the things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Jesus then explained to his disciples the different classes represented in the parable he had given them. Christ, the sower, scatters the seed. There are the worldly ones, whose hearts are like the hard-beaten highway, insensible to the teachings of divine wisdom. They love not the requirements of God, and follow their natural impulses. Many are convinced as they listen to the important lessons of Christ. They believe his words, and resolve to lead holy lives, but when Satan comes with his evil suggestions, they are overcome before the good seed has fairly sprung into life. Had the soil of the heart been broken up by deep repentance for sin, they would have seen how wicked was their self-love of the world, their pride and avarice, and would have put them away. The seeds of truth would have struck deep into the fallow ground prepared for them in the heart, and would have sprung up and borne fruit. But evil habits had so long held sway over their lives that their good resolutions had vanished before the voice of the tempter. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. There are those who receive the precious truth with joy. They are exceedingly zealous and express amazement that all cannot see the things that are so plain to them. They urge others to embrace the doctrine that they find so satisfying. They hastily condemn the hesitating and those who carefully weigh the evidences of the truth and consider it in all its bearings. They call such ones cold and unbelieving, but in the time of trial these enthusiastic persons falter and fail. They did not accept the cross as a part of their religious life, and they turn from it with dampened ardor and refuse to take it up. If life moves smoothly with this class, if their way is never crossed, if all things are in harmony with their inclinations, they appear to be consistent Christians, but they faint beneath the fiery test of temptation. They cannot endure reproach for the truth's sake. The good seed that had sprung into so flourishing a plant withers and dies because it has no root to sustain it in the time of drought. The very thing which should have caused the fibers to strike down deeper and send up more vigorous growth parches and kills the whole plant. Just so the hot summer sun that strengthens and ripens the hardy grain withers and destroys that which, though fresh and green, 
has no depth of root because the tender fibers cannot pierce the hard and stony ground. These persons could cultivate and enrich the soil of their hearts, if they would, so that the truth would take deeper hold. But this involves too much patience and self-denial. It costs them too much effort to make a radical change in their lives. They are easily offended by reproof and ready to say with the disciples who left Jesus, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? And these are they, likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they had heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, Immediately they are offended. Jesus represents the seed as falling into neglected borders and patches covered with rank weeds which choke the precious plants that spring up among them. They grow sickly and perish. Many hearts respond to the voice of truth, but they do not properly receive and cherish it. They give it a place in the soil of the natural heart without preparing the ground and rooting out the poisonous weeds that flourish there, and watching every hour in order to destroy them should they again appear. The cares of life, the fascination of riches, the longing for forbidden things, crowd out the love of righteousness before the good seed can bear fruit. Pride, passion, self-love, and love of the world, with envy and malice, are no companions for the truth of God. As it is necessary thoroughly to cultivate the soil that has once been overgrown with weeds, so it is necessary for the Christian to be diligent in exterminating the faults that threaten his eternal ruin. Patient, earnest effort in the name and strength of Jesus can alone remove the evil tendencies of the natural heart. But those who have allowed their faith to be overcome by the growth of Satan's influences fall into a worse state than that which they occupied before they heard the words of life. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Few hearts are like the good soil, well cultivated, and receive the seeds of truth, and bring forth abundant fruit to the glory of God. But Jesus finds some earnest Christians, rich in good works, and sincere in their endeavors, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Thus Christ represents the characters of those whom he came to teach, in a brief and comprehensive parable. The worldly-minded, the evil-disposed, the hard-hearted, are all exhibited to the minds of his hearers. 
he thus answers the question that we often hear today. Why was the work of Christ productive of such meager results during his personal ministry upon earth? Miracles of goodness and mercy marked his life, but while he healed the afflicted and cast out the demons that persecuted men, he left to themselves the work of correcting the evils of their natures. He instructed them how to unite their human efforts with his divine power and triumph through his strength over the sins that beset them. This experience was necessary in order to give moral power to the Christian character and fit it for the courts of heaven. Jesus employed no miraculous agency to compel men to believe in him. They were left to choose or reject him of their own free will. No direct power was to force them into obedience and destroy the free moral agency that God has given to man. The parable of the sower plainly sets forth the tendencies of the human heart and the different classes with which Christ had to deal and also explains the reasons that his ministry was not more successful in its immediate effects. The parables of Jesus were designed to arouse a spirit of inquiry which would result in a clear exposition of the truth. As he was thus instructing his disciples in the meaning of his words, the people again gathered about to listen, and his teachings were received and cherished in the minds of many who heard them. These discourses of Jesus were not merely to a class of inferior minds, but there were intelligent and cultivated persons present who were capable of the closest criticism. Scribes, Pharisees, doctors, rulers, lawyers, and the representatives of all nations were there to hear, yet there were none to gainsay his words in all that vast assembly.